I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit and Libations. Um, this is Audra. This is Haiti. Um, so we did have a little bit of time off in between our recordings, so we appreciate your patience. We had some family stuff to take care of. Yeah. Unfortunately, Sadie's dear, dear grandfather, um, Ken Wilsonhume, passed away. Um, so we were working through that. He's an amazing, amazing man. I'm so lucky that I got to know him and dear to us all for yeah, sure. Very much. So we appreciate all of your patience while we um, were doing that. But one of the silver linings, one of the gifts that <laughs> Ken gave us, but that is that Sadie got to come to Utah. And we're so here. We're in person. Together. And we're so excited. So I'm sorry this <laughs> podcast may end up being really annoying because we are just so giddy to be in person and doing this and Kendrick has this amazing setup for us, and this is super fun. And um, both of us have already had a few of our libations before we got started. So thank you for your patience during our time off. And for this podcast, please bear with us. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, we kind of wanted to try out, instead of just asking how we are and having the same recording that we realize happens, we've got some fun questions Sadie found um, that are literary related right and we'd love to hear i think i think after we answer these questions ourselves we're gonna put them up on our instagram to hear what you guys have to say yes which funny enough we were talking one of our previous recordings about what do you consider a dad book yeah um i have to find it my mom was so cute she oh crap i just we find that page again yes 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 okay um, but my mom wrote me back and she brought up a good point that I hadn't thought of. Let me have to find the message, but about what she considers a, a dad book. Oh, I think she sent it to our Lit and Libations page, but um, I'll have to find that later. But it was so nice to, it brought it up something that I hadn't thought about. So we really appreciate all of your um, inputs whenever we ask these questions yes. to know that someone is listening out for there. Sh- for sure. <laughs> um, oh, she said... Um, she brought this up. My grandpa probably read every cowboy and Indian book mm. published. Um, he grew up in Boston and the wild, wild west really was a thing for him. Grabbed his imagination. And also um, Tom Clancy and my dad got into Tom Clancy. So they shared that. So I remembered that. And those were definitely those are I'd consider that dad books like for sure. Zane Grey. Yes. And, um, yes. My dad has a like a. <clears throat> best works collection yeah i got him some like vintage books of zane gray for christmas this last year fun yeah some cool old ones so okay so yeah we have a three questions that we're going to go through every podcast and then we'll put these up on our instagram page and we would love to hear from you with your answers as well so um first question i'll ask to you sadie is do you have a certain place at home that you do your reading Mm. bed so yeah bedtime bed bed period even if it's not bedtime I like to read a bed if I feel like it's more comfortable um on the weekend Brian and I really like to pull out the pull out couch like the pull out bed in the okay. living room um that sounds like a lot of work it's 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 
relatively easy, but it's it's fun. We move everything over there, and then it's kind of like building a fort. Oh, that's cute. It's fun, and I really like to read there like all day while he is playing video games. That's right, non-reading. Yes. Whatever, Brian. It's fine. How about you? Where do you like to read? Um, I don't really care where. I, I read most often in bed like, yeah. before I go to sleep, Um, but then I have that little book nook up in our room by mm-hmm. that window and I like to read in that chair sometimes or if I'm hanging out with the kids I'll read downstairs on the couch because I'm with them and I yeah. want them to see me reading um so that's kind of my I don't really have a specific spot yeah but. like I, I if I need to read somewhere I'll read somewhere yeah 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 um okay question number two do you use a bookmark or just fold the page or okay. ran a piece of paper what do you do okay this is like monstrous but I memorized the page number you're psycho. <laughs> I memori- Are you serious? How did I not know this about you? I memorized the page number. That Have I'm you on. always done this? Um, since I can remember. That's so weird. I w- and I I'm c- like, I'm not judging. No, I'm just like, I can just I've never heard of that. I can just close the page and I remember the page number. That's insane. It's it's kind of my biggest brag and also like my most psychotic thing about yeah, me. Yeah, like I'm equally impressed and weirded out. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Um. Well, I go through just whatever i'll fold pages a lot but then i like to have a bookmark yeah so like i'll get bookmarks as gifts or i'll find one that you know randomly will just strike my fancy Mm -hmm. but then and i'll use it for like a little while and then i don't know what happens to them i don't know where they go oh yeah they go somewhere into this universe of other things that i lose and then i so then in between when i don't have a new one again then it's random whatever Uh, like receipts or like receipts or i fold the paper or yeah i just stick something in there like so I don't know. There's a whole universe out there that has my lost bookmarks floating around in it. Yeah, I used to collect bookmarks, which is ironic because I've never used them. I just literally, I always remember rem- just remembering so the page number. You're so weird. It is the weirdest thing about me, hands mm-hmm. down. Jeez. There are a lot of weird things about me. That's the weirdest. That's up there. All right. Um, can you just stop reading or do you have to stop after a chapter slash a certain amount of pages? Mm. I can just stop. I can too. I can just stop, but I I usually don't. I if I have a choice, I prefer to end at a chapter end or something. Or yeah, you know, not all books have chapters per se, but they have like breaks. Yeah, and I'll I'll stop at a break if I can, but I, I can stop anywhere. It's not like I'm like pathological about it. Yeah, no, I'm the same. I I'll, I'll like if I have all the time in the world, or you know, I'm I'm not pressed for time. I'll usually get to like a chapter break or even like a part break like, yeah um but yeah if I need to I can just even like a done. top of the page or something mm-hmm. something that's just easier for me to remember when I remember the page number. yes so weird <laughs> again I'm so creeped out by this all right it's weird I don't know how it started it certainly know. wasn't taught to me that's that's just really strange that's something I'm gonna think about for a while I think I think I'm just going to bring it up randomly at different points in time. And Whenever you're trying to prove that I'm a, like a little bit off kilter. Yeah. I mean, but it is also really impressive. That's the thing. Like, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so since wh- why don't we tell everyone what our libation is this evening? So I'm so excited because I finally got to make my frosé. <laughs> I would never get the things frozen that need to be frozen, but I made us frosés and it's frozen watermelon, frozen strawberries, and then rosé. Mm. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Did you know that this is my first rosé? No. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm your first. 
Well, I'm glad you like it. I'm glad it worked <laughs> out. So we have rosés for this evening, and then I, we're going to do, I think, for our next episode, um, a hot drink. I kind of yes. was wanting to go with this duality theme. Definitely fits the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was kind of weird uh, reading this book in like the heat of summer. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but I I thought it was a really interesting contrast to think about. Uh, like while I'm in ninety degree, yeah, one hundred percent humidity. Oh gosh, yeah, thinking the heat's of so bad. Yeah, that that poor Northwest. That's scary. Yes. Uh, if you don't believe in global warming, I recommend uh, doing just like an ounce of research. And then you'll yeah. pretty much get your answer. That's uh, so scary. It's pretty terrifying. Uh, but, I mean, reading about the cold in this book kind of cooled me off, I guess, while I'm dealing with all the heat. There you go. So that's our libation is a lovely frosé. Um, definitely recommend. Um Okay, so we're going to be discussing chapters 1 through 14 of The Left Hand of Darkness. Oh, I just found money when I opened my book. Uh, that's good luck. I just found four $2 bills. No, five $2 bills and a dollar bill. How do you have five $2 bills? I don't know. You have weird things. I have weird <laughs> things, apparently. I feel like in all of my life, I've only had maybe one or two $2 bills in my possession at any given time. It does not last long. That's so funny. That's very good luck. Nice. All right. Well, then hopefully this podcast will be good. All right. Good omen. If you guys believe in karma, I'm pretty sure Audra has it in her favor at this moment. Well, I hope so. I think the $2 bills are are definitely in your favor. Nice. All right. So that's what we're going to be discussing. (laughs) Before we get into that reminder, our next book um, is The Spy Who Came In From The Cold by Jean Lacar. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. you haven't. Have you gotten a chance to start it yet? No, I've not. So good. That'll be a good one to read on the plane. Do you have a copy? If not, you can take mine with you. I have my copy. I brought my copy. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, that's a so good So that we one. can hopefully record it again while I'm still here. Yeah, so that episode should air on Friday, July 9th, because um, we're yes. releasing parts one and two um, soon, and then we will have that ready to go. So then we should be back to our regularly scheduled programming. Yeah, which again, thank you again so much for being patient for this episode. We've... Between work and then family stuff, this has been a really crazy, June was a crazy month. However, I did just have someone bring up to me that it's we read incredibly fast, so maybe it was good that we took a little break. Give people some time. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it worked out. So you have time to go from your go pick up from your local bookstore, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold by John LeCar. It's a great book. Um, I think it's a great, fun mm-hmm. read. So hopefully you guys can get that and read up and that way you can follow along with our next uh, podcast um For sure. I, don't, I don't have any oh only other announcement or shout out um our wonderful setup was provided by my husband kendrick um kendrick's going to be performing um saturday july 10th uh, at the holiday concert series um so if you're local go please go eight o'clock i'll put it on the lit and libations page and then also um go check out mm-hmm. his youtube page kendrick zane um, he's got lots of videos of his original recordings and covers, so uh, as well as providing our lovely sound equipment and getting this all taken care of. He's an amazing musician, so definitely go check him out. So I think that's it. I don't have any other plugs or announcements. Do you? Nope. I think we're good. I think we should get into the book. Yeah. All right. So, um, Sadie, why don't you read us the 
the summary right. of the left hand of darkness and we'll go from there. So I'm just going to read the back because this is quite the novel. I've, I feel weird trying to introduce it myself. Um, so this is The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin. This was published in 1969. And just from the back of the novel, um, a lone human ambassador is sent to the icebound planet of winter a world without sexual prejudice, where the inhabitant's gender is fluid. His goal is to facilitate winter's inclusion in a growing intergalactic civilization, but to do so, he must bridge the gulf between his own views and those of the strange, intriguing culture he encounters. Embracing the aspects of psychology, society, and human emotion on an alien world, the Left Hand of Darkness stands as a landmark achievement in the annals of science fiction. I can't disagree with anything that it says. And I, ha- mm-hmm. I have to say, I'm not a huge reader of science fiction. Um, but I will say that I think that this novel does exactly what I, I think science fiction should do yeah. and is good for. Um, I really have really loved reading this novel and I think it's important um as well as we as we discuss this to keep in mind kind of the context of when it was written and published so it was published later in the year after these Stonewall riots Mm -hmm. and very much on her on Ursula K. Le Guin's mind was the question of trans rights and gay rights and the LGBTQ plus movement and it's something that I think we really need to keep in mind as we read this, especially as technically it's no longer Pride Month, but we read this during Pride Month. And I think it's important to think about the things that she's discussing and thinking about in this book in the 1960s mm-hmm. and how it relates to kind of the fight that we're still fighting in 2021. Yeah, definitely a good point. It was it was definitely impactful. Um thinking about those things while reading the book and Mm -hmm. even just the author's note I love Mm -hmm. what she talks about she has this sentence um science fiction is not predictive it is descriptive Mm -hmm. and I just love that because it made me think about science fiction in a whole new way and then thinking about what is being described um at the time that she wrote this and then also what it's describing now if that makes sense like um, cause I hadn't really thought of science fiction in that way before. Um, I think usually I think of science fiction and it's, um, predicting the future, but she's correct. That's really not what it does. Um, it, she talks about that Schrodinger's famous thought experiment that the, f- the future level on the quantum level cannot be predicted, but to describe reality, the present world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really like how she talked about what science fiction is and what it meant and it made me think about it in a whole new way and it was so nice to start that way before reading the book if that makes sense like she really the authors know I think um is it in your copy too yes Mm -hmm. yeah I love um it really it really set the the tone um and so I thought that was really helpful and I really enjoyed everything she said in it yes and well and also I I think that you know, I'm not I'm not a regular reader of science fiction Mm-mm. and reading it. It's it's such a it's such a male dominated genre mm-hmm. and reading, you know, Ursula K. Le Guin's kind of take on the genre and the way that she moves it forward in a lot of ways in 
in a way that I think I think would even be pretty radical today. Honestly, I, I, I mean, I think that she would make changes if she wrote it today. But I, I think still at the at the core of it, it is very unique and it's very forward. And it's really interesting seeing that come from a female pers- perspective from a male dominated genre, even though the genre was created by a woman. Yeah. Mary, like Mary Shelley, Mary Shelley. Um, it's still a, a male dominated dominated genre and seeing her perspective on what the genre means and its importance um outside of just commercial sales was really great for me as as a reader and expanding kind of what i'm open to as yeah i'm interested in reading her other novels for sure um it was funny because i had this sitting on the counter and kendrick like picked it up and he was he reminded me that this author is one he told me about before that he read that cycle of books when he was younger. What? Yeah. So I was That's like, wild. oh, yeah. So I want to read those books as in like her other stuff because really I hadn't considered myself interested in science fiction before, but how she talks about it, how this book was mm-hmm. like, I'm denying myself from some amazing literature. So I definitely want to put my toe in there. Yes. That's really interesting that Kendrick had been familiar with this before. Yeah. Not this book, but the author. The author. Yeah. I had never heard of her. And, and, you know, we chose The Left Hand of Darkness. But also this is technically like the fourth book in this universe that she wrote. Mm -hmm. And they're not all uh, like linearly connected. You can read them out of order. But she well established this universe. And I think it's important also to note that Is it pronounced Hainish? I think so. Yeah, so it's H A I N I S H. So it's the novel set in the Hainish universe, which is part of the Hainish cycle, which was a series of novels and short stories that she wrote, um, starting with the short story in 1964 called The Dowry of Angar. Um, Mm. And then this novel was fourth in the sequence of writing. But like you said, Sadie, they're not, um, they don't go in this certain order. It's just the same, all the same universe. It was City of Illusions. Um, preceded it and then followed by word of world no word the word for world is forest mm-hmm. um and i don't remember what the other ones were but i'm definitely gonna check yeah. them out um i think one thing i did think about and when you were talking about if she wrote it now versus when she wrote it in um, the 60s was i'm interested even though it's about i don't know these you know, people that are what amosexuals, like how you would androgynous. They're, yeah, they're not really given a specific sex at any time. Yeah, so they don't have a, a male or female sex, but then they go through this period of time called oh, what is it? Kemmer. Kemmer. And at that time, they either um, become female, female or male, like or they, male, they and go then that's way. when they will mm-hmm. will produce, you know, mate and like produce offspring and and then yeah. it's interesting because it can go back and forth so you'll have children who like the person who's been a mother ha- will also maybe be a father yeah. and it's you know and it's so really interesting but i so even though these characters are ambisexual that's they're pretty much always referred to as he as he like yeah. every character is like almost referred to first as a he and yes. it's so interesting how she describes the people when they are in kemmer and are female mm-hmm like, it, it, I don't know. I mean, it's this female author. Mm-hmm. It's so progressive that she writes this, but you can see, like, even 
in how she writes it. Like the female characters are almost, uh, I think they're described a little more negatively, like their characteristics, like the characteristics associated with yeah. them when they're feminine are kind of <clears throat> not that nice. It's more, it's more hypersexual for sure. And then, then also the fact that like male is the standard. Yeah. It's the standard and it seems to be the more celebrated, um, or at least, mm-hmm. yeah. So that was kind of something throughout the novel. I'm going, huh? When, yes. When is someone going to be referred to as a she? Like as as their androgynous state is still like a she. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't happen. It really doesn't. Um, it's interesting because there's a whole chapter. So th- the book is interesting as far as perspective goes because it goes back and forth between like our main character, Genley I, and then also Estraven, who's kind of like our native of the culture that they're exploring here. Um, but then there are these these random chapters that kind of tell like kind of like a, a myth or yeah, linear folk story. Folk story or or the writings of mm-hmm. other like anthropologists basically that come and had, had viewed this society. And there's a whole chapter, it's chapter seven, that's about the question of sex. And it's based off of a character that we never meet mm-hmm. um, that had gone to the planet and they kind of had figured out how did this start? Like, was it ex- an experiment? They talk about the whole sexual cycle, which basically means that they, the Cathenians, which are the people of this planet called winter, um, they go through like a 28-day cycle, kind of like the menstrual cycle, mm-hmm. um, where a certain period of that time is when they're in Kemmer, and that's when they they pick a specific sex, but they can go either way. Yeah, and that's when they're like sexually active and everything. But it, it's interesting how she talks about in that chapter about how um, she is kind of given no choice as a anthropologist, but to refer to them as he yeah it's, where was that i can't remember it i mean it's in chapter seven at some point but she talks about how um she's re- referred to to go to that point i did love you can look for that one of the parts i loved in this that i noted um again every book is d- probably paged differently on my edition it's page 101 but um she writes this anthropologist that's writing about Kemmer says the Somer Kemmer cycle strikes us as degrading a return to the estrous cycle of the lower mammals a subjection of human beings to the mechanical imperative of rut it is it is possible that the experimenters wish to see whether human beings lacking continuous sexual potentiality would remain intelligent Mm -hmm. and capable of culture Um, and I just thought it was interesting that that part was put in there just about you know what that means to have two sexes and to have kind of what we consider the normal way of reproduction. And what does it say if you Mm -hmm. don't? Mm -hmm. Well, it, it brings into question, I mean, in this society of the Gethenians, they're like rape doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, like sexual violence is not existent. They don't understand it. And also, even to the further extent of like war yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah. Murder murder happens, but it's on like this individual small scale. 
And so it also, I think, is really interesting because it brings into question, like, what gender has to do with, like, inherent violence of human nature. It almost seems, I feel like it almost is suggesting or she's almost suggesting that one of the results is, like, more of a passivity. Mm -hmm. But not necessarily, like, a passivity, but not a peaceful does that make sense like things aren't necessarily it's not utopia it's not utopia it's just passive so there's more passive aggressive things that happen yeah which again it's like okay what you know where does that come from oh i found the part you were talking about she says yeah um, it's on that same page a couple of paragraphs before the one i just read Mm -hmm. um says yet you cannot think of a gethian as it they are not neuters they are potentials or integrals Lacking the Kardish human pronoun used for persons in Somer, I must say he, for the same reasons as we use the masculine pronoun in referring to a transcendent god. It is less defined, less specific than the neuter or the feminine. But the very use of the pronoun in my thoughts leads me continually to forget that the Kardahir I am with is not a man, but a man-woman. Mm. Is that the part you were thinking yes, of? Yes, yes. Yeah. Which, again, I think that's an interesting justification. It seems very much like... She, I mean, it seems like she input that for her own audience to kind of explain the the way that she wrote it. Well, sure, because she's acting as an anthrop, you know, like, yes. yeah. I mean, she's creating and then acting as an anthropologist. For her own, own world she created. Yes. And it's also, it's more complicated than, like, I think if, it, if an author had written a story like this at our time, they probably would have used they pronouns. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't yeah. really a common thing then. So she had to kind of create, I think, an option for herself. And he or man seemed as a, a more... It's almost a more generic uh, term Generic still. term, mm-hmm. like mankind versus, mm-hmm. you know, man and woman. Like, it seems like she was just kind of working with what she had. But I, I mean, I think that's something, though, that she as an author would acknowledge and would have changed. Yeah. Well, and it's just an unintended. I I think one of the great things about literature is all the things that are said. That's not coming from the book. Does that make sense? Like the, like how she used that pronoun, how she talks about these characters when they're Mm -hmm. female versus when they're male, all of that says a lot about the, the time she wrote this in and her and the culture, like, that's one of the great things about literature is so much of what is that you get from it and what is said is something that's not even in the book, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It's what's between the lines and what's what's within your social context mm-hmm. that you get out of. Well, yeah, I mean, book. it's just like when you read a book when you're younger versus when you're old, you know, just at or yeah. different points in your life, not necessarily just younger or older, but after different experiences. And um, that's why you can read books over and over and over again and still get so much so much out of it. Yeah. Did you um, have to ask, like, did you find it difficult because of the like androgyny of it all, but also the fact that everybody was being referred to as he? Like, was it difficult for you to picture characters? Because it it was for me. It was difficult for me to picture like an actually, truly through and through like androgynous character when they're continually being referred to as he. Um, No. And I'll tell you why not, because I am a huge Trekkie. (laughs) <laughs> and maybe I shouldn't say I'm not a science fiction fan because I guess that's what you would call the whole Star Trek series. Yeah, TV's different. But I than am upset, like love Star Trek. And mm-hmm. this is, I mean, there's characters in different Star Trek series. I think it's more than one um, that are like this. 
Yeah. They're not a specific sex. Um, and it's interesting. Like, so I actually would picture some of those characters from those shows when mm-hmm. I was doing this. And it's kind of just those, it was just neutral features. And like, mm-hmm. I was really able to connect things that I'd already seen. Like when I thought of that because of Star Trek, which is amazing. And I also yeah. love connecting the whole idea of like first contact and like, yes, I love that part of it too. I love that thought of finally discovering other worlds and yeah. what that would be like and how do you handle these things and what's the priority, even though I, so Charlene texted me the other day about this book and she's like, why won't he call his ship? Yeah, <laughs> I'm so irritated. Right? He won't call his ship. And I'm like, well, that's not how it works. You have to, you can't interfere and you know, you have yes. all the rules, like you can't mess things up. And so it was just funny. But she's like, it's so irritating. And I wasn't irritated by that. That didn't really bother me. I feel like no. it made sense because I'm like, yeah, that's how it works. You can't interfere like this. You have to let, this is the risk you take. <laughs> Well, well, and also I, th- I think she does such a good job of establishing like. And Jen like kind of the, pisses me off. He's a little annoying. Yes. To me. I mean, he's very ignorant and distrustful. Like, for, I don't I think, think he's very good at his job. Correct. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I think that he, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I think he, like, she does a good job of portraying the way that, like, being a part of this, like, intergalactic society impacts your concept of space and time where Mm. like he doesn't particularly think that what he does is all of important it's just that it it leads to this bigger thing so you know the idea of him you know being worried about contacting his ship after like five years of not being in contact with them like it doesn't seem to really affect him because he's not really expecting a ton of change within even his lifetime yeah that's true that's a really good point like he's kind of he's more foreign to us with this like this concept of time yeah you know like and that would make sense as someone who travels like he does and like this is what you do is you go to these other cultures and you know you're doing things that are going to impact many universes for millennia mm-hmm. like that's an interesting that's a lot to wrap your head around it is it the one thing about Genley I though that is weird to me is that he seems so unprepared for this culture and like for understanding this culture and I understand like being thrown into a completely different culture is going to be like a shock no matter what but if he's already being enthroned thrown in there in the hopes of getting them to join this like galactic federation basically it's it's interesting that he seems so like out of his depths you know what i think it is is i think i think he i think he's just kind of an arrogant character Mm -hmm. and i so i think that his arrogance is almost what gets in the way like i don't know i i think i don't know how to flush that out more but i feel like he He's, his arrogance kind of keeps him from seeing things as he should see them. Yeah. I mean, he's arrogant in the sense that he's so careful about what he'll share mm-hmm. with as far as like his abilities and like the society's abilities. Yeah. Which we should expand on. So, he, I mean, it's basically like telep, not tele, tele, what's where you can keep telepathy. Telepathy. It's basically telepathy. Yeah. So yeah. it's a way to be telepathic with, to, to be telepathic and he can teach this skill. 
Yes. It's almost like he can give this skill, which I think is an interesting concept. And we'll talk more about that in the second half where um, you learn more about that, I feel like, in in the later chapters. But no, I think he's just in how... Well, I mean, he hides the fact that he can contact the spaceship at any time. Right, right. You know, and, and... but also, I mean, it's really interesting to me to see how much of, I think, his distrust in people that he meets, including Estraven, mm-hmm. in the first two thirds of the novel, is based off of the fact that the androgyny of these people are what makes him feel like he can't trust them. Yes. Which I feel like is extremely relevant. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like, it's interesting that he applies that. Like, you would think as someone in his position, he would be more open-minded. Yes. But it's interesting that his, you're right, his distrust is about the fact that, I don't know if they're female or male. Like, it's like he can't put a name to it, so he can't trust it. And, um, And I think that that comes out in how he, you know, how he talks about trusting them or not, but then also in how he describes them when they're more female. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like, I think, I think how he, based on how he describes the characters, when he sees them, he sees them as male. Yes. So, and, you know, and, and it's described in the book by the anthropologist too, kind of the physical changes that take take place during Kemmer. And while they'll be, you know, they can become female, there's not this, you know, they don't all of a sudden look like Pamela Anderson. Right. You know, they're, it's like, there's not this huge change. There's just enough change for them to be physically female the way they need to to reproduce yeah it's like a white a slight widening of the hips you know the yes the breasts become a little like larger and they can Maybe lactate softening of the features perhaps so- mm-hmm. yeah but not they're not these huge you know they don't go from looking like you know rocky balboa if they're <laughs> in their male phase or pamela anderson if they're fe- like you yeah. know there's not that huge shift so i think also when he, he almost looks at them all as male yeah. And then when he learns that at right now they're female, mm-hmm. it's like he's almost turned off by it or repulsed by it or upset about it because it's like it he didn't get it right. Like he's almost feels tricked by it. Like it's duplicitous. Yeah. And it's like it's not, the, the, they're not being duplicitous. Like it's just the way that they are. Well, and I just yeah. think it's an interesting concept of like is who you are defined by what gender people see you as or say you are, you know, I mean, you know, just that concept of, I can't speak intelligently about it cause I don't know it, but it's, mm. you know, that idea that must just be so challenging to know who you are and feel who you are. And it's not what everyone else thinks you are based on your physical right. sexual organs. To me, it makes me think. A and lot. then to be judged by it yes. to be, you know, a lot of times people feel, tricked by that you know or right and then it's this big thing of what are you here's your box you know and if you're not in a box there's a real distrust of people who can't check a box and tell you exactly who they are well it's it's the question of what are you versus who you who are you yeah that's a good way to put it and like it's you know it's something that i think a lot of people face today and it's it's something that is really big in, in politics right now like especially like when you just think about like bathroom laws Right. Like the idea that, you know, the reason that so many people on the right are so against, um, 
you know, trans women being allowed in women's bathrooms is because they don't trust that people are, you know, they what they picture is just basically pervy men going into women's bathrooms saying, I identify as female mm-hmm. and like lying about it. Right. Like it's about this distrust yeah. that they inherently have yeah. with people going against the assigned sex that they're given at birth. And to me, I think that reflects a lot of what Genley's perspective is in a way of like, if I can't just like tackle it down, mm-hmm. put it into a specific category, mm-hmm. then how am I supposed to trust like who this person is? Yeah. Because I can't put what they are in a specific category because at any given time in the month, they can be somebody else. Yeah. No, it's so true. I mean, in, in part two, I think we'll talk a lot more about Genley and how he has shifts in that perspective. And, and I think that Estrovan just, his character is awesome and yeah. is such a great communicates in such an eloquent way exactly what we're talking about yeah. and it's such a good rebuttal for for that so I think that's definitely something that we'll get into in the second part a lot more too it's, it's such a great theme all the way throughout the book and I think that she addresses it in such a great way in a believable way like you can really see why Genley could have a shift yes yeah I think it's great. Well, I mean, even just, I we kind of get it into it in chapter 14, but just the fact that, like, he's alone in a space with a person that he doesn't quite understand, being forced to get to know that person mm-hmm. is a huge way of getting to understand and accept yeah. people of different histories and, and different cultures and cultures ways and, of life and, and yeah. ways of life exactly um and i think it's i mean i think it's a really beautiful lesson because i, th- I you know i think there's been so much progress but at the same time there's still like not such enough. a fight not enough yeah and it, it's just so incredible to think that this like world even you know like leaving behind the fact that she refers to all of these characters as he in most given states you know I think she would change that but still thinking about the fact that she created this at the same time as the Stonewall riots Mm -hmm. like it's it's pretty incredible to think about the way it affected her writing and her thought process and it's kind of to me, it seems like her own way of kind of like three thinking through gender and like what it means. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's it's you can see how potent mm-hmm. of a novel. Like it's a very potent novel. It, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, and there's just stuff that irritated me. Like there's chapter chapter five, a couple pages in. Like again, he again Lee's talking about the culture, yeah, and, and explaining it, and he says, um. I'll just read this whole part. The radio bulletins were full of the doings of the new prime minister, Pemmer Harg Reim Utib. Much of the news concerned affairs up north in the Sinoth Valley. Teeb evidently was going to press Carhide's claim to that region, precisely the kind of action which, on any other world at this stage of civilization, would lead to war. But on Gethin, nothing led to war. Quarrels, murders, feuds, forays, vendettas, assassinations, tortures, and abominations— All these were in their repertory of human accomplishments, but they did not go to war. They lacked, it seemed, the capacity to mobilize. They behaved like animals in that respect, 
or like women. Mm. They did not behave like men or ants. At any rate, they had never yet done so. What I knew of Oregon indicated that it had become, over the last five or six centuries, an increasingly mobilizable society, a real nation state. And then he yeah. goes on talking about, because there's, there's basically two two kingdoms for lack of a better way to describe yeah, it on yeah. this world and they're they're somewhat feuding but never at war yeah um but yeah so th- things like that i'm like okay so are you right. saying it's about the fact that there's not men in like is it is it better in some ways or you know there's not war and all of this because men aren't in power because the people in power are somewhat men and somewhat women like yeah what are like i i i would like to, i think there was underneath the surface but i would have liked if there was a little bit more expanding on what what made the country like it was this world like it was like is it is it the idea of it's ambisexual so there needs to be more balance with the masculine and the feminine right. or is it just that women kind of are in power too in a way you know, because, right. like, what is it saying? And so that was, I don't know, that's just a lot that I thought. I mean, well, maybe I, you can't expand on it more because who the hell knows? But well, and and in that, I mean, in that passage specifically, it seems like she's basically saying that. And, and I'm sorry, do you think women like, can't mobilize? Have you yes. heard of Stacey Abrams? Like, give me a yes. break. Yes, <laughs> yes. No, it it is like she's saying that like the society wasn't able to mobilize or you know, make a difference because of the feminine aspect of the society. Almost like feminine aspect doesn't mobilize, which I'm at this point in time, while there was tons of women who made such a difference and did mobilize, but you're not seen as that. For one thing, they weren't given any goddamn opportunity to mobilize Mm -hmm. or do anything or be in power. They were kept from it. But then also those things aren't really talked about, you Mm -hmm. know, because who writes history books? So it's interesting that, I don't know, kind of that passage irked me. Because I'm like, well, where are you going with this? Keep going and finish and let me right. see what you're trying to say. I mean, it, it's almost like, I mean, that's what makes this novel kind of difficult, right? Is because it's both, you know, extremely sexually and like gender-wise progressive. Yeah, but also feels... Yeah backwards it's so true this is such a great novel though it's a great story it's it's such an awesome um especially the time it's written idea mm-hmm. and progressive but then also it's like what backwards ass time was this written in by who yes and so yeah it's it's so so duplicitous yeah she's so clearly caught up in the society that she was raised in as an author and it's something that is difficult to kind of like read and, and compromise with now as like a 21st century audience and as two women mm-hmm. reading this book because you know we want to kind of argue against it but you know for her I, I, and at the time like this was extremely progressive and that's why I think it's it's good to talk about like literature like this is because we can take the time to analyze the ways that this moved like an art form forward, you know, or like discussed an aspect of society in a way that hadn't necessarily been discussed as a genre before. 
but we can also look at it and say like what would we have done differently and like how has this changed over time because it's clearly she was still in 1969 like a victim of a specific culture yeah I think I think it's hard because I think sometimes we at least I have this tendency to it's like you don't want to let things slide Mm -hmm. but you don't want to not appreciate progress like you're or you don't want to become complacent just because there's progress. Does that make sense? Like, yes. like I was talking about this. I can't remember who I was talking to this about, but it was like, you know, during Pride Month, how all these companies come out mm-hmm. and it is mm-hmm. like Rainbow City and everybody supports Pride and da, 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 and it's for just that month and it really doesn't mean shit. Yeah. And what do they do after the fact? But then, you know, they were talking about how. But imagine, you know, if you're a young person and you're discovering your sexuality and you see rainbow flags everywhere and it's great to be gay and everyone is celebrating it that can help you yeah feel more comfortable being who you are safe which is awesome Mm -hmm. even though also it's partly for those companies just to make money yes so that's not good you don't want it to be just for that but it does have can have this very positive impact so you don't want to go so far where we're like not providing those things but then yeah so it's just a weird mix it's like this is such a progressive novel and this is so amazing and it obviously had a big impact and it still would have a big impact and it is Mm -hmm. you know we're talking about it it's not perfect no but that's what it is it's it's her as an author too I think like wrestling with her own kind of like conflicted ideas of what these genders mean Mm-hmm. And and also, you know, I mean, it like brings into a lot of perspective too. Like, what does it mean even to be female? What does it mean to be male? Yeah. And I think about this a lot as like a cis woman. Um, I've never really had to confront my own gender in any way. Mm-hmm. And as the times have progressed and I've had friends who have transitioned. Um, a lot of me has had to kind of think about, well, like, oh, my God, like, what is it about me and, like, life and my existence and everything that makes me female outside of my bodily organs? Mm, yeah. Because to me, like, I want to go outside of the, the stereotype you know, of like what are female interests? Because to me, that's not what makes me female. But like it's a it's a question. So it's weird how we as a society kind of like categorize certain interests, certain things Trait, as like male as female traits as mm-hmm. fe- male or female. And it makes it a lot more difficult, I think. When you are already comfortable in the body that you're like living in to kind of like realize how do I define this? Yeah, because it's not just the fact that I was raised female like mm-hmm. I feel very comfortable in everything but it's also not just because like I had a period it's not just because right um, it's it's a it's a weird like combination of all those things and I think it's something that like more people are kind of thinking about now even than the, than they did in 1969 obviously about like what is it that we associate with like our gender identity because you know you don't want to go into that like stereotype 
area. You mm-hmm. don't want to be like, oh, I'm into makeup, therefore I am female. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's not that's not what being a woman is. Mm-hmm. There's so many layers to it and it's so difficult to define. But I think what's great about this book is it really makes you think about the traits that we assign to both genders and then how we like relate to those or how we kind of like deny those aspects or those traits. Yeah, no, it's such well said. Um, yeah, and I think it, it does a great job of through, you know, our main character's eyes thinking of how we treat people based on mm. how we see them. Yeah. Um, which is always a good thing to realize and think about and and what we're using to, you know, what what we use to filter that, you know, based on position, based on what we think their sex is, like all of those things really affect. Did it go to sleep? Our computer went to sleep. There it goes. Yeah. Oh, was it needing a password? Yeah. Oh, good Lord. It's all right. It's okay. It's all right. We'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're figuring out our in-person studio. Um, no, it, the book does such a great job and um, chapters one through 14 um, mm-hmm. really just, it's, it's so, it's such a great exploration of the world and, what it is. And I think a lot of time is spent in, um, really getting you to feel what it must be like to be this like person from this other universe, this other planet to have to integrate and navigate language and cultures and politics. And Mm -hmm. I mean, just so as irritating as Ganley sometimes is to me, it's also like how intense that must be, especially when, you know, and I think it's probably even more intense because outside of the fact that they're ambisexual, the the people in this universe are so similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um. They, you know, the mi- there's minor differences with, um, you know, it, not even really physical stuff that much. So uh, most of the differences are through culture and abilities and then the fact that they're <laughs> ambisexual. Yeah. But how crazy that must be to enter that world and have to navigate it and... um. I think that's an interesting concept to think about. And that's a lot of what the first part of the book is about. Um, yeah. And so up until the point where Genley, um, let's see, we're starting it where Esterven rescues him. Yeah. Um, but he, he ends up in like a prison camp kind of. Yeah. He's sent to a prison camp because they're, they're like, I, I, is it Oregon? I think so. I keep or- saying Oregon. Oregon. No, I don't know it's, why. it's Oregon. It's Oregon. Orgarin. Orgarin. Yeah, Orgarin. Um, they're like threatened. We gotta pick some easier books. I'm so, I, know. I keep picking these. We can be damn books. I can't pronounce anyone's name, so we're gonna make it real easy. Hey, well, at least it's like sci-fi, so we're not mispronouncing anything real. Yeah, it's whatever it is. Yeah. Um, um, our next novel should be much easier. Yes. Um, yes. So, like, they're threatened by him, basically, and like the capabilities of their society. So. They send him to a prison camp that he's in for quite a while. And at the end, you know, S. Draven feels guilty because he kind of brought Gimli into that society because he thought that they would be more receptive. And then when he realized that it was going a different direction, he felt responsibility in the in what happened mm-hmm. to Gimli. And he goes to rescue him. And then they are kind of, you know, sent on this this trek through the winter yeah over um, across ice across ice to try to find you know find a way to contact 
Genley's ship, basically. Yes. So yeah. that to prove that, hey, he is who he says he is. Mm-hmm. This is he's here to bring this universe into yeah. this why again, just like Star Trek, <laughs> into this wild, you know, wider universe, this coalition of universes that their purpose to be together is to ex- share and exchange knowledge and ideas mm-hmm. and um so that's that's his purpose and and he's now having to kind of prove that so also interesting that he thinks that you know these people are so duplicitous yeah. because of them being ambisexual and they find him duplicitous and perverted and perverted yeah he's a pervert for being <laughs> for one being gender. male for yeah. just being one gender yeah he's a huge <laughs> pervert which some of them find amusing and some of them are scared by again um, yeah. You know, and some find ways to use it for their own gain. And mm-hmm. then some people he finds actual connection with. So um, all just totally relevant. But that um, so we'll be discussing in the next episode their their journey and kind of this change from how Genley looks at at this universe mm-hmm. um, from kind of really before he it's because he's sent there to to broker this basically yeah. and to broker this um to to find understanding and to find connection with these people yes. for lack of a better word and it's interesting he really doesn't do that until he's put in this perilous position and then he's rescued by one of them and then they're forced to spend an extraordinary amount of time in difficult conditions with each other and get to know each other and share and take care of one another yes and then that's when he actually understands these people and that's when he's able to to make what he was set out there to do you know, yeah. all his research before and his political navigating and who he got close to and all this hard work he did before didn't really get him anywhere yep. until he actually took time. What, what do you know? Um, mm, took time to get to know somebody. <laughs> so simple. Um, so anyway, so we will be discussing that in our next uh, episode. Um, hope you guys have had a chance to at least start the book if you haven't. Um, hurry up and finish it because it's great. So mm-hmm. um I'm really excited to keep talking about it. So we will talk to you guys next time. Alrighty. Bye. Bye.